Well, good morning, church. It is a wonderful opportunity that I have to share with you. I appreciate that opportunity very much. Grateful for Brett's invitation. And having met with Brett this morning and knowing his schoolwork from years ago, I can tell you he married above his pay grade. That that is for certain. (laughs) And he knows it. (laughs) Okay, very good. No, it really is good to be here and to have the opportunity to, to share with you from Hebrews to keep the continuity of what Brett has been doing. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, which is actually, on the one hand, a very meaningful text for me, and on the other hand, has kind of this, uh, oh, some old trauma associated with this text. And if you, if you grew up in church, and you grew up in kind of the tradition that I did, and churches of Christ, you might have heard Hebrews chapter 10, 25 a few times, right? I mean, I can remember Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, being the text that said, you need to come to church on Wednesday night. And you know that's a good thing to do, and if you don't do it, therefore it's a sin. So if you don't come on Wednesday night, you're sinning. You ever heard that one? I mean, I mean that was kind of like a club we used, right? And I don't think there's any necessarily bad motives associated with that. It's not like these were horrible people who, who, who uh, wanted to just beat us up. I, there was a sincere belief that coming together was something really good and something important happens when we come together. And so to encourage each other to come together, even Sunday night and Wednesday night and Sunday morning, that had some value to it. But it does create this kind of Hebrews 10, 25 traumatic effect sometimes, right? That we're, oh, I'm going to get beat up today. Because I wasn't here last Sunday. And I don't think that's the point at all. And I don't know that it was intended that way, even when it was said. But it is an extremely meaningful text because it comes as kind of the conclusion of a a major section in Hebrews. It, It begins with, therefore... Therefore, this this must be what's incumbent must be kind of important. Because now he's going to lay it out. Given everything I have said up to this point, therefore, and that's where we want to begin our reading this morning. If you would please stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to do so. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, going through verse 25. Hebrews 10. 19 to 25. And at the conclusion of the reading, I will say the word of God. And if you have a heart, if you feel a heart of gratitude and you want to respond, you can respond with me. Thanks be to God. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now you notice that that verse 25 comes at the end of that, right? And it has this kind of uh, modifying function. Not giving up or not forsaking or not abandoning meeting together or assembling together. In other words, don't give up meeting. Don't give up the assembly. Don't give up coming together. Didn't say when, where, or how, but don't give up coming together. And it's a participle. It's that I-N-G ending, right? Not forsaking, not giving up. And it modifies the three verbs that are ahead of it. When the writer says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on. Let us consider one another. And those let us's, drawing near to God, holding on to our hope, and considering each other, are modified by this assembling. In other words, what the writer is telling us is that when we assemble, these three things are part of what's going on. When we gather together... What we are doing are these three things. Drawing near to God, holding on to our profession, and considering one another. Those are characterizations, you might say, of what's happening when we assemble. When we assemble, it's not just kind of a horizontal thing. It's not just, okay, we see each other. No, there's more going on here. It's not just kind of a thing we check off the list for a week. It's not the sort of thing that we just, oh, I got an obligation, so I'll... No, there's something that's happening when we gather. And it's more than we can see. It's more than than we can put on a list. But at least it's these three things that are happening when we come together. But before we talk about those three things in particular, we have to notice what happened in verses 19 to 21. When he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have the confidence, we have the boldness, we got the gall to enter into the most holy place. Now, that may not shock us like it should because we've heard it too many times. But it really needs to shock us. Because who could go into the most holy place? In the story of Israel, the only person who could go into the most holy place, who could go through the curtain into where the Ark of the Covenant was, into the very presence of God, where the feet of God are planted upon the earth. The Ark of the Covenant is God's footstool. That's where His feet are. 
And God fills the universe, fills the cosmos with God's presence, but his feet are firmly in the most holy place. And only one person every year could go there. The high priest. But our preacher here says, we have the boldness. We have the wherewithal to enter the most holy place. And we do so by the blood of Christ, just as we sang a moment ago. On holy ground. We go on holy ground, not because we're holy, but because by the blood of Christ, we enter into that holy space. We enter into the holy place. Where only in history, one person can go. Now we all go, and we go together. We enter that holy place place since we have that boldness the preacher says let us draw near to God now we got to pause on that one for a moment let us draw near is literally what it says let us approach that verb is a really important verb because he's already used it several times in Hebrews he used it in chapter 10 verse 1 when he talks about how the priests draw near to worship or how we draw near to the throne of grace in chapter 4, verse 16, or chapter 7, verse 19, where the Levites draw near. It's a word that is used to describe what happened back in Leviticus 9. When in Leviticus 9, when the Levitical priesthood is instituted, and Moses and Aaron draw near, it's an entrance into holy space. It's an entrance into the holy presence of God so when this verb is used here in chapter 10 verse 22 let us draw near it's about an entrance it's about a coming into a particular kind of space coming into the presence of God or coming into the holy place the most holy place in other words it raises the question where are we right now right your architecture here tries to give us a sense of that, doesn't it? That's why church buildings are sometimes built with these high ceilings. I mean, it might be practical. I don't know. I don't know anything about the practicality of it, and that doesn't really matter to me. But the history of building buildings like this is to give us a sense of transcendence. The history of putting nice windows in I don't those aren't those aren't stained windows I guess maybe they are, I don't know what would you call them but anyway they give you a light a light that's coming from above it, it gives you the sense of the presence of God the transcendent presence of God that we have entered this space it's a symbol of that but the reality is we actually enter into that space it's a space we can't see my eyes tell me we're sitting here in Birmingham Alabama but my theology, my faith, my eyes of faith see something different. And we sang about it a moment ago. We're standing on holy ground. That doesn't mean the building is holy. It means we have entered into a space that is holy. We've entered into a burning bush space. We've entered the presence of God. And we're standing on holy ground and what? There are angels all around. That's the space we're in right now. 
We're, we're in a moment when heaven and earth have come together. And when we sing, we sing with the angels. We've joined the chorus of the angels. When we're singing holy, we're not the first ones to sing that, right? We're not the ones who are singing it. We don't begin it. Rather, we join what's already going on in that holy place that we are now present in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you notice our text says we draw near to God. But in the full assurance of faith, we're really here. And we, we know who God is, and we know God is with us, and we know God has come among us, and by Jesus Christ has cleansed us of our sins. We have a heart that is sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We have a good conscience because we bring that conscience in before God, and God forgives us of our sins, and we enter the holy space as holy people. That doesn't mean we're holy in every aspect of our lives. Doesn't mean we're sinless. Doesn't mean we got it all together. Doesn't mean we're perfect. No. We come in not on our own worth. We come in on the blood of Jesus Christ that has sprinkled and removed that evil conscience. And we've had our bodies washed with pure water. We've been baptized. We are baptized people. We come into that space baptized. You know, what he's describing here is exactly what the high priest did every year. Every year the high priest would, would go through this ritual. He would bathe himself. He would baptize himself. And he would take the sprinkled, he'd take the blood and sprinkle it on, <clears throat> on the altar. What our preacher is telling us is we are doing exactly what the high priest did. We draw near and enter that holy space with a washed body and a sprinkled heart. And we come in full assurance that this is where we are. So as you enter this space, I'm not talking about the building per se, though the building can symbolize some of that. I'm talking about entering the space where heaven and earth have become one. And we are surrounded by the angels. And the whole church is gathered there. And when I say the whole church, I mean even those who have gone before are gathered there. That's why we get a whole list of witnesses in the next chapter. And it's why in the final chapter, we have this language of, we have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. We have come to God, the judge of all people. We have come to a chorus of angels gathered in festive assembly. We have come to the church of the firstborn ones whose names are enrolled in heaven. And we have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's where we are. We have drawn near to God. We have entered the holy space and the whole church, all the, the saints of the past and the present, maybe even the future, are present. That's where we are. So therefore, he says, we have boldness to enter. Let us draw near. And then he says, well, and then let us 
Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For God is faithful. The one who promised is faithful. God has promised a hope and God is going to be faithful to that promise. He will give us that hope. He will actualize that hope. That hope will be realized in the final days. And lo, we come together to hold on to that hope. You know, it's hard out there, isn't it? We have a lot of things we struggle with. We struggle with our, our whatever suffering we may be in, enduring at the moment. We struggle with addictions and we struggle with sin. We struggle with family relationships. We, we struggle with politics. We struggle with racial tensions. We struggle with war in Ukraine. We, we got a lot of stuff going on out there. And it can shape us and mold us. It can warp us and distort us. And it can depress us and create despair. So the preacher says, when you come together, when you come together, let us hold on. Let's let's remember where we are. We have come into the presence of God. We have come to the one who is sitting on the throne. And the one who is sitting on the throne has not been knocked off the throne by the war in Ukraine. The one who is sitting on the throne hasn't been knocked off by the injustice. The one who is sitting on the throne has not been knocked off by what has happened in Buffalo this week or yesterday. We come here to remember and to embrace and to hold on to the hope that despite what is happening in the world and despite the way the prince of darkness is reigning, reigning in Buffalo or reigning in Kiev or in Moscow, we come here to say, I believe. We come here to say, I confess that God has promised a hope and I'm going to hang on to it. And we together, by assembling together, make a public profession that we believe in the hope that God has promised. Assembly becomes a moment not just of our own personal interests, but it becomes a public moment when we bear witness to the world that we are a people of hope. We are a people of the resurrection. We are a people of the God of justice and the God of righteousness. And we come together to share that hope with each other, to encourage each other with that hope, and to profess it in our songs and in our prayers, in the reading of the Word, and at the table. So let us draw near to God and let us hold on to our hope. And then lastly, the third, let us. Let us consider one another. Let us provoke one another. Let us stir one another up unto love and good works. There's a horizontal dimension. We come here to remind each other what the real business of the church is. What our our lives should be like. Our lives should be filled with love and good works. 
And we come here to remind each other of that, to stir each other up, just like you might stir up some coals in a fire to get that fire going again. Because we come here sometimes, we might come into this space on a high on some occasions, but a lot of times we come into this space having been beaten up this week. We come into space with, with lament for what happened in Buffalo. We come into this space with hurt because of a family member is sick or has injured us or wounded us in some way. We, sometimes we come here and we come in here wounded and hurt. And what we need from each other is an encouragement and a reminder and a call. We need from each other a sympathy and an empathy. And we need from each other sometimes a stirring up to love and good works. Yeah, that's, that's what happened in those series of videos, right? Isn't that what those series of videos were about? It was about a call for the church to be stirred up to love and good works, whether it's about racial unity or whether it's about the children's ministry or the prayer ministry, whatever that ministry was, those videos were not just kind of boring announcements. Those videos were, though it was a moment in this assembly where we were trying to stir each other up and call each other into a ministry, a life of service, of love, and of good works. Because the church is not about serving itself. The church is here for the life of the world because we follow Jesus and Jesus gave his life for the life of the world. And we are called into that kind of space. If we're going to follow Jesus into the throne room of God, if our high priest is going to open the way for us to enter into that holy space and to be present with God as is happening right now, that call of Jesus is not just a call to come into this space. It's a call to become like Jesus and to go about doing good. So here are the announcements this morning, not as that necessary evil <laughs> that sometimes we think about announcements. Those videos were about a stirring up unto love and good works. You see, all that happens in an assembly. We enter the holy space with our hearts cleansed and our bodies washed. We come into this space as a public witness to say we believe and we're going to hang on to our hope because we know that God is faithful. And we come into this space to encourage each other and to stir each other up. And that is why we don't give up meeting together. We don't abandon meeting together as the habit of some is. It's in that, whatever that church situation is in Hebrews, some were just abandoning, some were giving up, some were, the word could be translated forsaking, right? And they were drifting away. And so the whole book of Hebrews comes to this point to say, therefore, since we can enter the holy space by the blood of Jesus, oh, 
draw near to God. Profess your faith and stir each other up by meeting together. And one of those things we do when we meet together in this holy space, and again, I hope you're hearing me when I say holy space, I'm not talking about the building, right? Everybody got that? Don't, don't go somewhere quoting me on this and say, oh, he believes buildings are, you know. No. Holy space could be under a tree. It could be in your home. It can be on the subway. Holy space is where we enter the space to worship God and to be present in, with God. That's the space we have here now, not because of the building, but because of the intentionality to draw near to God. And as we come to that holy space, we come up, there's something else we do in this holy space weekly, and that is we come to the Lord's table. If you don't have uh, your communion with you, um, raise your hand, somebody will get it to you. And if you see anybody that, you know, if, you're not, if, if we're not noticing, just yell and scream and stomp your feet or something, I, you know, whatever, like we got some over here. I want to take us back to a, a place, a, a, another holy space. You see, the, the whole book of Hebrews has been talking about the temple or the tabernacle particularly, and about the way in which that was a holy space. And one of the things the, that the tabernacle sacrifices were about were about eating. In fact, the, the sacrifices of Israel began on Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, or Horeb, um, um, in Exodus chapter 24, the 70 elders of Israel and Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, went up on the mountain, it is said. And they offered sacrifices. They offered a burnt offering. And a burnt offering is something you, you burn it all up to God. It's a dedicatory offering. We dedicate ourselves. We give it all to God. But they also offered what were called fellowship offerings. And fellowship offerings were a part of every festival. They were part of the Passover. They were part of the Feast of Tabernacles. They were part of Pentecost. Fellowship offerings are where you sacrifice an animal, but then you eat it. You don't throw it away. You don't burn it up. You eat it. You eat the sacrifice. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 18, he says, Consider Israel. Those who eat the sacrifice have fellowship with the altar. See, Israel ate their sacrifices except for the burnt offering. It was a meal. It was the way they communed with God. In fact, on that mountain in Exodus 24, it says, Then they saw God, and they ate and drank. And they saw God. It says it twice, like, you don't want to miss this, right? Because what's happening when they eat and drink is they're seeing God. They're experiencing God through the eating and the drinking. Whereas Deuteronomy 27 says that they ate and drank rejoicing in the presence of God 
That's what eating and drinking with God is about. If we're in this holy space, if we have gone through the veil, through the curtain, and into the most holy place, and we are in the presence of God, and Jesus is sitting at the right hand, and we go in to eat with Jesus, and to eat with God, and to eat with all those who have gone before, this space is not about a mere sad memory. It is a memory because we want to remember what God did for us in Christ. But it ain't sad because we're in, we're in this space. And in this space, we sit at the table with the resurrected Christ. He is the host of this table. And He gives us. He feeds us. He nourishes us. He loves on us. He says, He takes this bread... This is always awkward, isn't it, right here? If you would, open your bread. Make sure you use the right side. It would be tough otherwise. But he takes the bread. And he gives thanks to God. And he breaks it. Don't try that with this bread, I guess. But, you know. He breaks it. And he gives it. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my gift to you. I love you. When you eat this bread, I am present with you. This is my body. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to feed you. Oh, it's not for, the, for this fleshly body. This little piece is not going to do much for that. But it is about who we are as the body of Christ. That we are fed by the presence of Jesus who says, who looks, who sits at the table with us. He told his disciples, I will eat this with you. With you. And we are in that space where Jesus is present with us and Jesus looks across the table from us and says, this is for you. It's my gift. I love you. Thank you, God, for this bread. Thank you for what it means in our lives, for the salvation that comes through the body of your son. And now, God, we ask you to nourish us and feed us as we eat together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us eat. Remember where you are. Look into the eyes of Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you can peel this off without spilling it, which is what I hope to do. Even if you spill it, it's okay. But Jesus took the cup. And he gave thanks to God. And he said, this is, the blood of my new, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is for you. It's, it's, it's about forgiveness. It's about grace. It's about mercy.
I'm not at the table to condemn you. I'm not here at the table to say you're not supposed to be here. I'm not here at the table to say you're not worthy. I'm here at the table to say, welcome. This is for you. It is for the forgiveness of your sins. My blood is for the forgiveness of your sins. God, we give you thanks for this blood. May it cleanse us, purify us, and we give thanks for what it means that by the blood of Jesus we enter into the holy space where we encounter you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let us drink. At the end of a communion service where I attend, this is a, a habit we have. We say, who are you? And the response is, we are the body of Christ. What have you become? We have become bread for the world. That in eating and drinking this, we have communed with Jesus and with God, and by the Holy Spirit, we are one with them. But we are also transformed by them. And we have become, now we are bread for the world. We're not a burden to the world. We're bread for the world. We're not a pain in the rear end to the world. We have become bread for the world. We are not the sarcastic, vehement attackers. We are bread for the world. We have become what Jesus is to us for the world. He gave his life for the life of the world and now we have eaten his bread and we have become bread for the world may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all Amen Dr. Hicks, thank you for stirring us up this morning. Uh, when Dr. Hicks mentioned a few moments ago uh, that I had married above my pay grade and I knew it, somebody behind me said, we all know it. <laughs> and I think that this morning there were some things that Dr. Hicks shared that we all know, but we needed to be reminded of. Or maybe you heard some of these things for the first time about an assembly and praise God. Very grateful that we were reminded to draw near to God. Let us do that. Let us hold on to our confession and then let us stir one another up. Uh, what a great message. Uh, we don't ever want to leave this place without offering us an opportunity to just share a moment with uh, one of our shepherds in prayer. 
And so in a moment, we're going to offer that to you. There'll be a shepherd down front. There'll be a shepherd and his spouse back here in this room to my right, which we call our chapel. And if you'd like a more private setting to head that way, uh, please do that. Uh, we're going to go to God in prayer. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. And then during that song, if you'd like to make your way to one of our shepherds uh, for prayer, or if today's the day that you want to name Jesus as Lord and enter into that baptized life, we'd love to celebrate that with you. Let's go to God. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the message today, this time of assembly, this time of worship. Father, may we, we never view this, this space and this, this time the same, but may we be in awe of who you are. May we be in awe of the love and the grace that you have shown us that we can enter into the most holy place. And we're so thankful for the blood of Christ that gives us that opportunity and that gateway. Father, today we bring before you all the concerns on our hearts, all the things that are going on in our lives. Father, we lay those at your feet. Father, we're thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ who can walk alongside us in those things. And I pray that we will intentionally um, move into spaces where we can uh, receive accountability, we can receive encouragement, we can receive fellowship from others. And I pray that you will prick our hearts to, to do that more intentionally this week. Father, we give you all praise, all glory, all honor, for this is truly holy ground that we are on because you are here with us. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.